Welcome to the New Story Podcast with me, your host, Rebecca Conran. Today, I'm having a conversation with Timo Ellis. Hi, Timo. Hi, everyone. Hi, Rebecca. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. We already, I knew how you were because we had been talking for a couple of minutes, but let's pretend I just picked up the phone. <laughs> I like how proper we're being, too. Yeah. Um, how do you do? <laughs> we're, we're buddy old pals. Exactly. Um, Timo is, uh, I gave him a shout out once before in a conversation with Will Rohn. So if you've been listening, you kind of have heard a little bit about Timo. Timo's a musician, composer, and producer. He lives and works in New York City, where he was born and raised. He's appeared on almost 100 albums in total over the past 20 years. Uh, he's even, And that's crazy to me, because you're only 25 years old, Timo. Exactly. <laughs> so, productive embryo. <laughs> Uh, he's a young man, and uh, he has recorded and toured with such artists as Yoko Ono, Sean Lennon, Chibo Mato, Jonah's Policewoman, and Space Hog, as well as collaborating and performing with Mark Ronson, John Zorn, the Melvins, Ween, the Lemonheads, Gibby Haynes, blah, 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 so many things. He is also um, sober for 11 plus years, somebody who absolutely helped me to um, uh, get sober um, when I first uh, was kind of heading into that. I remember Timo actually... I remember this very vividly. I was thinking about this last night. Uh, once when I was like getting sober and I was counting days and I was, I was actually going to AA. This was probably like 2011 maybe. Um, I called Timo and I was having a really hard time. And I, I must have just been like victimizing myself pretty hardcore. And he said, Rebecca, there's people dying in the world. <laughs> He <laughs> said, and you just like tore me a new asshole. And, and you know, I was so annoyed at the time, but then because I was like, but what about me? And, um, but that was actually really helpful because you were absolutely right. There was, there was a lot that I wasn't being grateful for in my own experience. And that really catapulted, like getting sober for me at that time really catapulted my whole, um, my whole, uh, healing process so I got Timo to thank for a lot of that because he he basically was the one who I would talk to about it and really encouraged me in it so thanks Timo you're very welcome all the listeners have you to thank (laughs) that's amazing thank you for being you too and of course uh, I appreciate you very much as well glad I could help (laughs) yeah so tell us a little bit about like you know um you know, the new story that you created for yourself around being a sober artist, being someone who, like, how how did your life ha- look like? What did your life look like before and how did it happen? <laughs> oh, my this? God. It's fucking dark. I mean, I saw it. So. <laughs> <laughs> it was bleak. Uh, you know, I, well, it's, I kind of have a, in a way, I have kind of like a, I sort of have an a workaholism, which is not always, you know, really necessarily uh, always healthy or, 
you know, it's not, not always a sustainable. I've kind of got an art workaholism. So, and a bit of an obsession about a natural obsession for uh, making art, which was able to sort of propel me through my life and also keep me professionally functioning uh, over a period of many years. And uh, although at the same time, I was really careening wildly out of control with uh, deeper and deeper levels of substance abuse, primarily cocaine and ecstasy and alcohol and pot and pills and tobacco. <laughs> uh, and previously in the, in the years before that, I had been a heroin addict, but then I finally, I was able to nick that, but then I didn't, it's not as if I got sober or anything. And I, I just got deeper and darker. So I, uh, I, I basically, I alienated myself. I more or less alienated my entire family, um, to the point of them almost giving giving me up for dead, which was very intense, you know, mm. um, and ha- having to, you know, not make amends, but really try to rebuild the trust and the intimacy that I, you know, with my my mom and my dad and my sister after years of being just a uh, unavailable and sort of out of my mind and uh, you know erratic and just not really uh, present, not mm. not available for relationship, so to speak. Um, in the years prior to, it just got darker and darker. Like I had a very small group of friends who I, who I sort of could, you know, party with and exist in this enabling, enable-ish kind of a social reality, which got smaller and smaller. I was already kind of a loner to begin with. Like I, I was never, I didn't have like, when I got sober, I actually didn't have to like get rid of a community of partying people because I sort of didn't have any at that point. Mm. Um, but uh, it really got, um, I started to, de- I started to develop, I had like paranoid cocaine induced paranoid psychosis, like mild psychosis um, episodes, which increased in intensity to the point, well, finally to the point where I actually like, you know, I had a kind of a minor psychotic break where I was hundred percent fully convinced that the cops were after me and that the SWAT team and the Homeland security. And, um, you know, I, I just, uh, there had been a few of those episodes and I would come down and kind of be like, Whoa, because it was literally being d- disconnected, like fully detached from reality. It wasn't like, Oh, that's like, I know I'm somewhere. I'm just freaking out. Like I was actually convinced yeah. I was going to die and that I was going to get my brains blown out by a SWAT team. Can, can, those, I, ask, can I ask yeah, you a question? Oh, looking sure. back, do you think that that was like some energetic interference too? Possibly. I mean, I, uh, I mean, that's a good question. Sometimes I wonder that too, in terms of, a. Uh, you know, my own uh, allowing some, I want to say demonic, but like my own uh, alignment with some really dark fucking forces. Who knows? I mean, I was definitely, uh, I was certainly not, uh, I, I, I was encouraging it on some, on either unwittingly or consciously or not. I was definitely like, a, um, yeah, who knows? It's a good question. Sometimes I think about that, but it's definitely like, I, I was, I was stuck in a, in a really bleak and kind of grotesque addiction feedback loop for yeah. almost 12 straight years. Mm. So it's possible, you know, that's possible. But uh, so in that, and this was in throughout, this was in 2007, that things got increasingly darker for me. And then finally I had a kind of catastrophic, uh, you know, like a paranoid psychotic episode in uh, December in 2007. And I had an epiphany. I had a, like a bona fide epiphany where, uh, I just had sort of this disembodied kind of experience of being like, this is the, this is the tipping point. This is the corner 
uh, that you are must turn if you want to, if you don't want to fucking die next week. And yeah. uh, so thankfully, like in spite of my, what could arguably be considered sort of slow grade and sometimes regular grade suicidal kind of unconscious behavior. I actually don't have a death wish also. And uh, I actually very much am a, you know, whatever, sort of a very innately optimistic and life loving kind of person. And so I was able to marshal my fucking willpower and just all my strength in that moment. I sent myself to rehab in the uh, end of 2007 for 30 days at actually a CBT based rehab, not a 12 step rehab because in uh, throughout 2007, I had actually been doing research of knowing that I was actually dangerously off my path and that if uh, I needed help, I was start, sort of making inquiries about like, you know, like some, some way to try to, to, uh, to, you know, to make this change. Mm. Although it's not as if like looking for rehabs compelled me to stop doing cocaine every other day. Right. It was a step <laughs> in the right direction. So in between uh, coke, in between hits, you were looking. Yeah, exactly. Google, Google rehabs before I call <laughs> the dealer again. Yeah. That's like the joke about cocaine is like you get together with people who then like they get super high and then they like wax really eloquently about how they all have to quit. You know, like they go on and on for hours. Like this is horrible. We have to stop. Let's call our guy again. <laughs> so some of those, some of those grotesque ironies of the whole thing. Oh uh, yeah. But yeah, I was really, uh, I was really fucking weak and vulnerable and super alienated and sad and lonely. I was dread, dreadfully lonely and had right. been for many years prior to so, that. So what's the difference between these rehabs and what's the difference between a 12-step uh, rehab and in, the... In this case, it was the, the program, so to speak, was framed in, turned, in terms of cognitive behavioral therapy, which right. does, it's more, you know, in, a, in the broadest sense, it's about, you know, changing your thinking. Mm-hmm. Up, uprooting and then you know being able to change your behavior by changing your thinking as opposed to or not as maybe not as opposed to but as somewhat distinct from conceptualizing the uh, your sort of reprogramming in terms of a quote higher power which right. it wasn't it wasn't a, it wasn't you know it wasn't uh explicitly like against the aa model but it just didn't employ the aa model which for me and knowing how we can and how frazzled I was at that point, I, I kind of made the choice that I didn't want to mix up my, my spirituality, quote unquote, with my sobriety at that time, which is fine for other people. It's just for me at that, it was enough for me just to get my, drag myself out of the fucking gutter, so to speak. Yeah. But ultimately, Timo, what do you think was, what was powering that, like in your, in your psyche, what was powering the need to check out? Uh, without getting into all the specifics, there's a um, PTSD from uh, really a totally fragmented and my my my. Uh, I think the long term things actually come without getting into the specifics. Uh, the fragmentation and the sort of disintegration and that kind of acrimonious disintegration of my original family unit, coupled mm-hmm. with uh, a couple of sexual sexual abuse experiences. As a, one is a one is a preteen, and then another one is a teenager, and uh, I, I mean those are those. It's, it's, it's almost like a cliche. I mean, it's not a cliche. Those are actually the real sort of foundation circumstances, and also particular incidences which sort of sent me further into a fucking tailspin or whatever. You know, where yeah. I was like, yeah, it's not safe for me to feel anything. I am not going to. I can't actually manage or regulate my own fucking feelings because I'm extremely sensitive. And uh, I feel like it's not safe for me to even feel 
feel my feelings as deeply as I'm feeling them. And I don't fundamentally feel safe attachments with myself or really anybody else. So I'm going to, uh, you know, I kind of un- kind of consciously a bit and unconsciously sort of defaulted to a, uh, you know, substance use emotional regulation system. Over right, there. like drugs as self-medication. Yeah, and also as a way of just being able to sort of bear my own experience and kind of have a relationship with myself. It, ma- it made my experience of being, just being bearable, which is the thing, of course, that's the, it's not to, you know, often, I don't think, I think in the program and in general, people have a nuance and enough, uh, an intelligent enough, like uh, analysis and understanding of it to not just moralize about like, oh, it was bad and now I'm better because yeah. substance abuse really does actually fucking work for a while, <laughs> if not for a long time, depending on who you are. It serves a positive function, but then it uh, very, very, in my case, actually very quickly gets out of control and careens to the other side of the <laughs> spectrum, right. which is like, it's causing damage and it's destroying, I'm, I'm possibly destroying my health and my sanity and my entire life. You know? Well, yeah, whenever you're not really uh, dealing with what's underneath um, it's going to blow up. It's going to yeah. come out like a volcano at some point and you're going to get to a breaking point because the substance isn't going to work forever. It's not going to keep a lid on it. And it's interesting. Like I find a lot of people, um, like I, I have worked with some people, uh, professionally, not clients of mine. Well, obviously some clients of mine, but, um, people who I've worked with professionally who, um, you know, there's, <laughs> it's interesting how much, how hard it is for people to get truly clear, you know, to, to let go of the need to like self-medicate, take drugs every day, even if it's like, Oh, I just have my weed at night and smoke some weed or, or, you know, and, and I, um, I try to explain to people how different it is to actually give yourself a chunk of time where you are completely sober and you're not taking in any, um, substances because it really it gives you such a different uh perspective on life i can only explain it as like a calming like at first it's very difficult obviously to after you get sober because you have to really deal with a lot of repressed emotions and and uh, chaotic feelings but then there's like a an overwhelming like calmness i find that comes with sobriety well i mean if you're if you're if you have the yeah both absolutely if you, you know, by consciously sort of creating the conditions where you can actually settle your whole being without like a, without just, uh, uh, without any crutches, without like anything, without running away, without even sugar and, and, and yeah. you know, or any uh, caffeine. And in my, which in my now in the last year and a half experience is realizing the sort of narcotic and emotionally powerful, like a um, sort of somatic effect of eating animal products. Mm. It, was a, it was really huge for me. I was actually shocked at the degree to which I was regulating my mood by drinking milk and mm. eating fish and meat and stuff. So that's, a, that's another, it's a related thing, but I totally agree. Like I'm still, of course it's a, as we know, like it's a, it's for, it's continues. It's a long-term process of, uh, you know, once you get sober, then you can like, okay, now I'm like going to even try to like create the space where I can, uh, hold, you know, either with either with with the program, with some trusted therapists, mentors, groups of people, actually, uh, sort of re-socialize myself to others and to myself to be able to actually hold space 
for myself so that I can bear grief, anguish, anger, bitterness, loneliness, and all the positive stuff too, but it's the, it's the darkers and shame. Those are the things that compel us to shut down or check out or to constantly kind of have to keep moving or whatever, you know? Yeah. What do you, what do you do instead then now, Timo? You know, if in the past when you were feeling those darker feelings, you'd, you know, get, get high or whatever, what is your, what is your practice now of kind of nurturing those feelings? The only thing, I mean, I'd say the main things and possibly the, the most functional and maybe obvious uh, alternative strategies and habits and methods are just fucking exercise and meditation and yoga, you know, like breathe, breathe through your nose, drop the story. <laughs> it's easy to say, especially when you have like, you know, like thousands of triggers or whatever around, around all sorts of things and trying to maintain your sense of self without having realized all the ways in which we're just sort of uh, mitigating against feeling like really raw and vulnerable or just feeling, feeling your feelings too deeply. But yeah, it's like a, a exercise. Get out of your head if you can, like get into the body. It's just that the, you know, it's breathe, breathe and possibly work out if you can, uh, look at the sky, turn your head to the left, <laughs> you know, just like, just if you can change, if you can drop the story and just, this is some Buddhist, this is all entirely Buddhist, Buddhist based, I think, general technique. If you can drop the story and just stick with the fucking sensations in your body and notice that usually can diffuse the intensity of anger or anxiety or yeah. you know, just bitterness or any, any of the, you know, of, of any of the stuff that where you you know, you're kind of like contracting where you're like uptight, you know? Yeah. And I think that's the hardest stuff to do is to quote unquote, drop the story. I mean, I think for a lot of people, a lot of the listeners, myself, you, I know, um, Timo's a Gemini, but he's got a lot of cancer in there. Um, <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> uh, but like that, that kind of that, um, the mind is really just the most treacherous place. And I, I think we always think like, well, what does dropping the story mean? And to me, it's kind of like when you know you're in this loop of like, you know, negative self-speak or, or self-abuse or whatever, you literally have to sometimes be like, shut the fuck up, stop, yeah. stop to yourself. You might have to do it like every 30 seconds in the beginning, you know, trying to get yourself to just snap out of these like automated like responses that we have. And I think, I think part of that also is it's so hard because we don't realize that like it's someone else's voice too, yeah. that it's like a caregiver's voice or a voice that we, that we've copied from our childhood, a pastor's voice, you know, whatever, a teacher's voice. And that oftentimes it's not even, if we could choose the way that we would speak to ourselves, it wouldn't sound anything like the voice that goes on in our head. No, I mean, like, obviously, well, it's like bordering on abusive, if, if not actually abusive. Yeah, it is. Mm -hmm. Lacking, lacking uh, solidarity or even faith or any kind of empathy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, the tricky, the, it's the, the part that's just fascinating, but it's just, I would say you're like, you were saying like in the beginning, it's hard. I think it's hard in the beginning and at the end and years yeah. later, it takes, I mean, I still, I'm still relatively, I mean, I'm definitely better at that than I was two years ago, let alone five or eight, 10 years ago. 
even mm. like two months ago. The whole thing, for me, it's like trial and error and a lot of error of disastrously, like unintentionally indulging my intense storylines and just handling things badly, but then going like, oh, I'm just fucking correcting it and really as, as, as ruthlessly like fucking checking myself and also, you know, really heartfully fucking make, trying to apologize for when I, when I'm clumsy or when I'm unintentionally playing those things out without realizing, and then without realizing that I'm just uh, indulging that voice as opposed to the one that's just says, Hey, I'm feeling uptight. I need a few minutes to gather my fucking emotions and I'll come back when I'm not angry or when I'm not triggered or whatever. Yeah. And so even creating a gap, the gap so that you can come back and also not ever not blame people for shit anymore. Yeah. That's a larger picture ongoing challenge of being like, Hey, I'm just feeling shit. It's you didn't do this to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though you might've done X to me at the same time, I'm going to try to as skillfully as I can come to the table with take ownership for yourself. Yeah, exactly. yeah. And that's, and that's an ongoing thing because I mean, I think I was, I wanted to say one other thing. It's like in terms of cog, I, I, my mind fucking races. <laughs> obviously, um, the, uh, cognitivizing things and like you know ruminating and kind like cognit cognit just cognit cognitivizing and like processing your experience is actually fun <laughs> you know it's also kind of a nightmare you know it depends <laughs> yeah. on like depends on what's happening with you the whole thing is like it's sort of like in my thing it's like possible it's not only possible to get high on language and on your own mind, but it's also possible to simultaneously get high on your own mind and also block out your feelings. Well, Even yeah. as a sober yeah. person, like I'm just saying, you can, there's all sorts of sort of more insidious ways in which you can kind of rationalize your way out of the hot seat. Or well, whatever. I think, I think addiction runs so, so deep into us too. It's, it's like, you know, for me, part of, part of my uh, patterns of addiction are, are not just like the gratifying things, being addicted to like that instant gratification of something, you know, that's basically giving me my brain an oxytocin re- release, right? Yeah, which, yes. which is what you'd normally get through intimacy, hugging, being like nurtured as a baby, you, get, yeah. you can get it through sex or drugs or whatever, this instant gratification. But the other side of addiction is really being addicted to stress hormone in our body too, right? So cortisol. So we're really looking to dramatize things, to create crisis. And I think one of the biggest things for me to have to wrap my head around was how how much my brain uh, is in cahoots with this addiction, right? And is looking to create stress, to create um, uh, victimization, to create crisis when there is none, because it's just me talking to myself in my own head, right? right. Like, so yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the work that I do in my own personal um, experience is in like, I you know just checking myself against like this is this is I'm not doing things that way anymore. You know, really communicating with myself like this is just mindless drama. Like it's okay to have an uneventful life where drama is not, is not happening. And to even be, I don't know, boring at times, right? Like in your own space and kind of bored and like, Oh, nothing is going on. That's totally acceptable. There's no drama. There's nothing 
prodding at me. There's no extremes happening, good and bad. It's like totally fine to be in that like uh, a relaxed, uneventful, non-chaotic place. And key, I, you know, part of my process is really giving myself permission to do that because I think that's part of what we have to check is how deep that addiction goes in terms of like, you know, it's so subtle. It's not just about like, oh, I like to drink alcohol, you know, and I'm addicted to alcohol. It's, it's really about like the thoughts we're addicted to, the hormones we're addicted to. Um, and it really, it really runs a lot deeper. I agree. I think I totally agree. I mean, on, and personally, I can very 100% relate to that in terms of my own experience about like a so, you know, I kind of, kind of consciously and unconsciously like thriving on ramping up, not drama, but like uh, activity and also of like, uh, you know, discriminating constant, uh, you know, judging of things and like cross-referencing things. And like, it's like, uh, you know, the norm, the normal like workings, the normal workings of, you know, thinking about plans and fantasies and other people. And like, how did I do? How did they do? Do I like this? What do I have to do? All this stuff. Um, is you know fueled by a character of like not like a little franticness because if you were to, like you said like if you were to let the dust settle then the fear starts to <laughs> creep in at the edges and yeah. that's why we're like you know what okay I can't deal with that because then I have to start thinking about bigger things like who am I and I'm gonna die actually and yeah. what, am, what am I actually doing and yeah. so I mean that's those are the those are the you know I, I know for myself it's like a I, I have there's times where I mean like I it's I've been in situations, I put myself in situations even the last handful of years where I find myself just spinning out like ruminatively, like not happily, like before I go to bed. It's almost like I'm having a fucking like lengthy debate, like rebuttal thing with someone who's not there. <laughs> you know what I'm like? Yeah. I'm like, I'm presumably they're not doing it. <laughs> like but that's why I tell myself, like they're not actually there, Timo. So See, Timo, this is where we might disagree a little bit, though, because, and we've talked about this a little bit, like, I, I definitely feel that when we are having those conversations with other people, that we are actually communicating with them telepathically, that, like, they're in our space, our energetic space, or vice versa, and we're having that kind of response because we can feel them in our space, right, our energetic space, because energy is, like, beyond time and space, you know what I'm saying? So like someone who's, this is the same thing as when you're thinking about somebody and then they call, Yeah. you know what I'm saying? It's like, oh yeah, that's a really big coincidence. But as an energy worker, I'm like, well, you can feel they're transmitting a wavelength to you that you can feel. So, uh, sometimes I think like when you do find yourself having, and I have those arguments with people too. Um, I just tell, instead I go, get the fuck out of my space right now. Like if you want to talk to me about this then you can call me on the phone, but like, don't try to like have this conversation happen in this way. So no, I try to just boot them that's, out. That's, see, that's, I mean, not only, I, I mean, I, that, uh, that's, well, first of all, that totally makes sense to me. That isn't, it hasn't sort of naturally been the way that I, would sort of understand or perceive it. Although well, why would we? That's totally crazy. No, no I know exactly for maybe <laughs> for maybe slightly obvious reasons. At the same time, like I mean, the thing that makes me realize in the larger picture sense, like you just said, like get the fuck out of here, speaks to the 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 the, the need the 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 larger phenomenon of like actually setting the boundary, yes. which is like I need to like actually I'm not going to I need to like actually 
I'm, I'm, I'm declaring my boundary and my, I'm like put, I'm stopping. I'm, I'm, I'm halting this argument yes. within myself slash with this person. Yeah. And uh, for me that, that I know my own, like, uh, I mean, again, without getting into all the specific dynamics of my family life, mom and dad, and that whole thing, the, uh, just, it's like the people pleasing thing and saying no, and then orienting yourself like towards like trying to get, you know, trying to get approval and affection and validation in all these, like, uh, let's say less, much less than functional or sustainable ways, let alone all the drug stuff, which is in itself a form of that as well. But it kind of has its analog with other people where you're actually trying to create ground or stability or security um, in, in ways where that are, that are sort of implicitly uh, an expression of the difficulty in setting fucking healthy boundaries for yourself, which is still, it's taking me a long time, even into sobriety, well into sobriety to realize the moments and the ways in which I'm like, Oh, I'm playing out this abandonment thing that like, is just fucking deeply rooted for me or whatever, that kind of thing. Yeah. You know, I think boundaries is like, it's such a, it is such a subtle, um, messed up part of our collective too, because like we've really been taught to just like, um, not to have good boundaries to, you know, that we, we are all like over explainers. We're all like, um, we don't feel like we have permission to say no or to, we don't feel like we have permission to have like conflict sometimes either to like kind of annoy somebody cause we don't want to do what they want us to do. Um, it's kind of like we've been conditioned to be ami- amiable, you know, in a way that really takes our own ability to take care of ourselves away from us. You know, I know that my clients probably get so annoyed with me because I have really strong boundaries with them. They're always like reaching out to me saying like, you know, how do you have good boundaries? And I'm always like, book a session. <laughs> like I don't answer this during the emails. <laughs> I'm yeah. like, here, here's, here you go. I will t- tell you how to have boundaries by having good boundaries myself. You know, it's like, I think we have to, as a society, know that like, no is just a full sentence. There's nothing else we have to explain about it. And I think we also need to learn to accept, stop accepting it as something personal. You know, if somebody says no to us, it's like, it's not personal. If somebody doesn't want to date us, it's not personal. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's about whatever they're going through, whatever they're experiencing, that is their experience. And like, we have to, you know, know that someone else's experience is like, A, none of our business and not not personal. It's not an, an attack on us that someone else wants to take care of themselves, you know? Oh. No, I know. I know. Yes. Uh, <laughs> it reminds me of the, the four agreements, that guy, what's his name? Yeah. That mm-hmm. whole thing. I mean, in, um, the idea, the thing it makes me think of is like that, like o- almost mo- one of the most important things is to remember that is to try to keep that in mind, especially in like personal and in, in your relationships about emotional things, family, business, um, you know, and particularly in the in, with emotional intimacy, the whole thing, what it makes me think of is like the, the difficulty, especially when we're, if we grow up not only in a culturally, but also possibly like neurologically and biologically to be these like a little approval seeking children that yeah. are, are kind of constantly, you know, uh, trying to create maximum acceptance, validation, security, 
and approval and validation from mentors, parent, parental figures. And then when they, when we don't consistently get those things or get them with mixed messages or don't get them at all or get them with other inappropriate types of like boundaries with like where the, where they're, there aren't boundaries where there should be and vice versa, that it ends up just convoluting the whole thing into where you have grownups like sort of emotionally and neurologically playing out these, uh, you know, these like just biological, biologically ingrained childhood dysfunctional, yeah. like, uh, uh, you know, relative abilities to be able to be like, oh, this isn't about me. Like yeah. none of it's about me. You know, other, you know, on, on a practical level, you can say, oh, well, this other person did this, but on an emotional level, being able to uh, make the distinction that you just made of going like that the other people are going through their own thing and are entirely experiencing and projecting and expressing things based on their own experience is the thing to remember when you get triggered, blah, blah, blah. You yeah. Know, yeah. Than done though. It takes a lot of practice and I'm better at it than I was, but I'm still working on that. But we have, we have our whole lives to, to fumble yeah. that constantly. <laughs> exactly. And I, you know, I, I often, I, it's, it's surprising cause you know, in the, in the thousands of sessions that I've done over or like that I've connected into in the last seven years, like, it's interesting how people, when people think of like what happened to them as a child, they always think, well, no trauma happened to me. I wasn't like abused in some way. And, but they, I don't think that we as adults are really capable sometimes of having a perspective of a child of like, when you're a child, something that is, seems really insignificant to an adult because we have the experience of like, oh yeah, but everything was fine. You know, as an adult, you have experience, so you know, you're going to get through stuff. You know, that like, um, if you, that, that, um, the world look is, is different from just like one experience. Right. But when you're little and something happens to you, everything can make the world feel unsafe. Everything you know, um, if you, and it's so incredible how many children internalize a parent leaving as their fault, right. Yeah. That they could have done something differently. And, and as adults, they don't even tap into that, that, that subtle subconscious idea because as adults we're like, well, well, I know it wasn't my fault, but so often we have to actually walk ourselves through the experience we had as a child, which is, so much scarier and bigger than it is as an adult and even really insignificant things that we could think of as adults can really affect us in a profound affect our sense of self-worth um in a profound way and and not just that but like even if we were told that that we were loved every day but we witnessed our parent not loving themselves you know that that would have taught us that um their example t teaches us about self-worth and self-love. So we wouldn't have even believed necessarily that we were lovable if our parent wasn't loving themselves appropriately too. And um, it also made me, it, I don't know, did you get to see the, um, the, the Mr. Rogers documentary? It's amazing. I was yeah. just stunned by that. It was just so, so simple. Just think about, yeah, yes, exactly. Like, think, think about people the, that loved you and that's it. That's yeah. But <laughs> think about like all of the pushback he got, right? Like he basically, what he wanted to do was tell children that no matter what happens, you're worthy and you're lovable, right? Which I think is intrinsic to a healthy society that people know that, no, that life isn't about your achievements, 
you are already lovable and worthy. And the pushback he got from that was that he was entitling people, entitling them to feel good about themselves when they hadn't done anything, which is so, so, so much of what our issues are as a society. Hashtag capitalism, blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah. That we have to like do something to be approved of and to achieve and, and then we're lovable and worthy as opposed to this idea that like you don't have to prove your worth and how lovable you are. This is intrinsic. Every single child should be held in this regard. And that was really something that, that blew my mind from that. And the other thing that blew my mind from that documentary um, is just to really connect in with this is somebody who's making a profound impact and obviously achieving things, right? Like even him sitting in the Senate and achieving, getting the funding for PBS and all of that. And what really hit me was like that you could really feel his own self doubt, right? Like through, through the documentary in terms of like, um, you know, like the little, the little tiger that was based on him, right. That he used to speak as, yeah. And you know, like I could feel that doubt that is so human that I have, that you have, that even though we know profound things, profound things can channel through us, right. Mm-hmm. Divine information, healing information, um, intuitive information, but that we still as human beings we'll feel doubt sometimes we'll feel doubt as if uh, to, if we're doing the right thing. And I know I definitely feel that too. Sometimes, sometimes I do have to check myself and go, I mean, I do it a lot. I'm like, you know, where does my ego come in with my teaching and like where, uh, you know, just that constant, like just checking that, like, I'm not going off the deep end thinking that I'm like, my shit don't stink. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I sure. Yes. I know that's a, and well, you're right. In terms of like, it's, it's, a, you know, it's another one of those, I don't say balance, but there's almost like a razor's edge quality just of how fucking honest you can be about like really what the texture of something is, is like, am I, am I actually operating with humility and wisdom or am I letting my little armor building thing get indulged or animated by my like, I'm smart and I think I'm smarter than you or something like that, you know, which is really tricky because that also, it's fun to, it's fun to lecture people. (laughs) It's fun to like, feel like, you know, what you're talking about, especially if it sounds good and it is good. If you might be right, but that's the, 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 you know, and and it's, I would imagine it's the, the very delicate balance that's struck by people like, you know, that do your job and in general of like, uh, counseling people without advising them and also checking their own fucking ego, which is what you're talking about. Yeah. And I think also just like something that I grapple with a lot is, um, is confidence because I feel like a very confident person. Obviously you know me, you know, and you know that like there's many things I don't feel, I feel doubtful about and and don't feel confident about or that I'm, you know, processing. But, uh, it's interesting how often like I feel like um, shame around feeling confident, you know, like when I feel confident and I'm like, yeah, like this is like something I'm doing. I'm just proud of it. Right. I'm proud of myself Um, like that. It's almost like this other thing triggers in me. That's like, do I have the right, like, is this ego, this confidence and just even finding like, 
it's so interesting how we've been, I mean, I feel like that's being taught that like, you don't get to be big, you know what I mean? Or, or feel good about yourself. The thing, I mean, it's so, I, when you're describing that, I'm just trying to think like, I mean, that's the thing. It's like, I think over time, developing it's like not only confidence like first of all it's like just the right to exist <laughs> yeah working yes. on that okay then we have that then we're going you know what i'm actually like good at certain things uh i am i'm competent i also have generally have good intentions and i'm here to fucking serve i'm here to help and i'm also uh have accomplished xyz like i can take pride in certain uh you know just qualities of my character and also of my conduct yeah. the whole thing is like and, and, and without it's the thing about feeling like and, and feeling it entitled but in a in a, in a reasonable in, in an actually accurately like an accurate way without like letting it suddenly start to turn into like a layer of armor where you start to think of yourself as like Oh, the wise person or yeah. the, all An that identity. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and also the thing, the, 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 I think the, the, whatever the key is like of just even knowing yourself well enough to know when you're a little, uh, uh, you know, whatever you want to, however you want to embody like the sort of the mischievous, grandiose, ego driven part starts to kind of like a, who's the, when, when that voice is underpinning your, you know, your sort of a self-identification in that moment when you can just at least have a self sense of humor about it and go like, Oh, yeah. you know what? It is true. I am amazing, but like, just, okay, hold <laughs> on, dude. <laughs> like, okay, cool. But like, just, you know, just don't, don't let that get away from you. There's an, yeah. I want to say self-loathing. Is it possible to be self-loathing in a positive way? I think so. <laughs> I'd like to think so. Anyway, it's not like self self-abuse. That, that uh, they're, they're fine what? Say what? <laughs> I'm just saying like that, meaning that like, I would say that there's a way of checking yourself, which is like, it's not loathing, but for me, that's like, you know, it's like, it's, it's the, it's the, the brutal, the brutal self-honesty self of like, sure. of comedy, of, yeah, of where yeah. you actually see the absurdity of your own little sandcastle. You're aware when you're building up your thing, you know, yeah. to the point of going like, well, you know, like, but uh, you're also not doing it in such a way where we're, where, where, where there's like this internal big brother that censors us and says, you don't have a right to be beautiful or grand or yeah. super talented or whatever. I, I think, I mean, what you raise is a really interesting thing about like the, the level of exponential type of self-consciousness and uh, of, of kind of like self-definition, which is, gets very weirdly uh, uh, exploded in a so post-internet world where we mm -hmm. constantly have to be aware of how of how we're coming across, you know, and in, in a way we kind of end up regularly sort of like conceptualizing how we see ourselves with how we appear to other people, especially when we're constantly posting stuff yeah. as, a, as an either conscious or an unconscious way of animating our current frame of mind or our, you know, contemporary existence. It's, it's hard. It's hard. I think it's hard to do like what you're talking about anyway, but it gets, definitely weirdly convoluted and sort of mutated by conceptualizing your online persona and, and then also possibly using it as a means of buoying your mood or making yourself feel better when you don't feel, when you may feel lonely as opposed to just feeling fucking lonely. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when the temptation is to get high on approval that you can easily get by posting a picture of yourself or, you know, posting something to actually ameliorate this feeling of existential dread or loneliness or fear or, 
just you know of of uh of you know just loneliness yeah it's, uh, it's even more it's more difficult i think that i would like to it, it's i think it's 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 the, i think that the the idea is to be like i'm beautiful inherently i'm really really fucking good at certain things and also no nah, i'm still working i'm a work in progress student mind beginner's mind da 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 keeps you humble yeah but then yeah. again those are nice ideas it's harder to do <laughs> Yeah, definitely. You know, something I wanted to kind of like circle back to, too, that we were talking about earlier that I just remembered was um, the idea of like um, the intellectualizing of emotions, right? And our process and how I think a lot of us get so frustrated because we think that we're working through our feelings by thinking about them when we're actually holding ourselves in a place of anxiety and depression by incessantly thinking about how we feel as opposed to having a sensory response to how we feel, um, which would be tantamount to like taking a shit. Basically it's like, Mm. you know, you know, when you really have had, when you've really moved through some feelings is like that really raw moment after you've had like a total cry or like sensory expression where you actually feel like somewhat free of that emotion in the moment. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that I think because we're so afraid of that release, even though it's just us kind of releasing sensory information, energy, moving energy, physical energy. I think because we're so afraid of the physical release we think that we can kind of circumvent that by processing mentally and really that mental processing holds us in a place of that energetic emotional information without being able to release it does that make Uh, sense yes i agree it's just that this is the one of the pitfalls of language (laughs) and cognition you know you can be aware of it like and then you just also in as much as you can cultivate certain proven techniques to actually like kind of to shift your attention from words to just the feelings sensations yeah. you know which is i believe again will come, come to there are trusted buddhist stuff which is uh you know go to the body you know drop the story if you can because then you can uh you be you just you're you're expanding your field of awareness to and like what you're suggesting is to nurture the conditions to allow the sort of the uh, freer flow of this visceral sensory uh, energy as distinct from trying to control it or manage it with concepts. Yeah. Um, but that takes practice, obviously a lifetime. It, it, it's, there's all sorts. It's very difficult. <laughs> it doesn't always work. You know? Yeah. I also think that like, and maybe, maybe you'll agree, but like, Uh, there's two ways in my past that I have like been able to really fully access my emotional, uh, landscape. And that it it was either in the past, what I would do is I would get super drunk and it would like, it was, it would bottom me out to a place where I had to be emotional. Right. Cause like it just came out of me because I had, I wasn't clear. Right. And then there's the opposite side of that which is, um, so I can see how that benefited me when I was younger, right. To like get to those bottom points because it did help me to kind of like move through a lot of stuff to get to a point where I had to like climb out of it and not, and not just be like 
coasting. Right. And then the other side is to remove all of that medication stuff, like the self-medicating, the distractions, even sometimes spiritual bypassing. So using like feel good spirituality to avoid your feelings and to create a place where you have, where you, where you drop all the distractions so that the feelings bubble up out of um, discomfort because we're no longer like, it's really about creating like, the perfect storm of discomfort for ourselves so that we can move through, we can push out of ourselves these deeper emotions. Cause if we're always keeping ourselves just like moderate, we're not necessarily, sometimes we're, that's great if you've worked through a lot of stuff, but sometimes if you, if you feel depression and anxiety, keeping everything moderate is also keeping everything in and keeping you in a place of repression emotionally. Does that yeah. make sense? Yes. I think that's definitely true, which I think, uh, you know, and there's all sorts of, there's all sorts of ways like to, to continue that kind of like repression management, you know, strategy or, you know, whatever way of being, I would say for me personally, like the, 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 the way I'm trying to, re, you know, sort of revolutionize that whole thing, which I've realized after many years of uh, without any intoxicants, but realizing even without the aid of, without the influence of any kind of intoxicants that I was very much capable, as you just, just, just now articulated, of like keeping my intense feelings of fear, anxiety, loneliness, the, the raw, the raw emotions themselves under wraps but but for me the whole thing is like ah i have to actually shake things up by moving yeah. i have to like it's the body that's the key is actually because you can i think that the sedentary you know this the sedentary like the not aerobically super active lifestyle and just body lifestyle uh depending on who you are but for me definitely contributes to this sort of slow gradual habit of you know, like not really feeling, fuck, not really like living my feelings as deeply as I'm fucking feeling them at all. And I would say, you know, this is, this is, it's almost like a, whatever it's, it's it's, it's generic. It's such an almost, it's so obvious. Is that like, for me personally, like computers, (laughs) like my entire habit of staring at screens in, in a, in itself is like a, you know, it's like a narcotic. It has this uh, anesthetic effect, yeah. which is the point, <laughs> like, which is, that's what we're consciously feeding by con, you know, by constantly consuming information and, and, uh, entertainment through our computers and our devices and TV and even streaming Netflix, the whole thing. And so it sounds, I mean, it's like a cliche. It's so obvious. It's like, well, if you want to like feel things deeply, you actually have to like be co- go back to human life, uh, before cell phones, <laughs> yeah. possibly even before television in, in a way you have to, you have to, it's cultivate it those down. habits of, of like, of just even being like a person where you're actually going, yeah, I feel like shit and I'm not going to, not going to medicate. Yeah. But, you know, it, go, it goes against our entire culture. Our entire culture is set up to actually, here's everything. So you don't have to feel anything anymore, which is one of the biggest sort of, uh, uh, you know, crit- criticisms that I have among many others about, about the whole phenomena of being a, a, a user of social media is how it, uh, it basically squashes and sort of com- fundamentally inhibits grief. Mm-hmm. Like I, I don't think that like, I think it's extremely important if possible 
to, you know, and, you know, it's, it's one thing if you're actually forced by circumstance by the death of your, your own, you know, either illnesses or, the, you know, the, de- the death of anybody close to you, you know, and, and just death in itself, where you're actually forced to actually confront mortality head on enables you like whatever for, depending on who you are to, to have to like fucking experience viscerally what that feels like. But on a general level, like it's a, that's one of the things that I think is the most important for people to like learn how to experience, allow themselves to experience grief and to like cultivate the, the ability to be able to feel that deeply because it's one of the things that's missing from our popular first world culture in a way that I think is extremely destructive, you know? Yeah. Well, and I see in social media again, it's like, it's extremes, you know, it's either we're like, we're either like the extreme, like, oh, my life is perfect. I'm so happy. Look at all of the good things going on. Right. That comes with like only wanting to share kind of like our wins. Right. And then we also have like in the media in general, this other extreme of sharing tragedy without any kind of solution ever you know like there's a lot of like sharing uh, of gossip and tragedy and stressful situations um just as like uh not even as a way to perpetuate fear and a way to like um without any kind of like groundwork for okay, yeah, this heavy thing is going on and here's how we're combating it. It's usually just like, here's this heavy thing and here's another one and here's another one. And then here's all this good stuff, good stuff, good stuff, bad stuff. So it's like nobody, everyone's like trapped in these extremes without really knowing okay, well, what the fuck are we going to do about it? Or or, or even how, how, like that there's even any other way of experiencing it. Yeah. You know, I I mean, that's my thing. This is my sort of kind of snarky shorthand is like, Life takes longer than 15 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> like things take longer than 10 minutes to process yeah. or not even five seconds. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, for the honest, those that are either, either in academia, academia, either are students or, you know, that teach that still just generally have like uh, read books, you know, yeah. like that actually like, I mean, I'm going to sit down and create the space for myself. I'm going to process this story that requires my attention to like, to like requires my attention yeah. for longer than five seconds, you know, which is extremely these days is a, my own. I mean, I feel like my own social media use for, because of my inclination towards fucking substance abuse, it's like a, it's has the danger for me. I'm saying like a being like a, uh, kind of contributing to sort of this mundane kind of mental illness that I already have. Yeah. <laughs> and so I have to be very mindful about it. And it's very difficult because I'm sucked in like everyone else. Uh, mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, it's like being addicted to bullshit, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on, yeah. On a certain level, you know, and also, meanwhile, it's like we've destroyed, we've just, we're destroying our civil, civic society. Um, and our, our own, you know, various, various aspects of our own, like sort of functional participation uh, in, in, you know, in democracy just by, because of FOMO. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which is so weird. Or advertising. We, did, we, 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 destroyed, we destroyed our life because of advertising. Our, our own, you know, the, the branding and our own need to try to stay relevant yeah. and our, you know, all that stuff. I mean, it's a lot more complicated than that. Those are just that was just those are just some aspects of it but yeah um, well you know humans are so we're in such denial all the time ultimately you know i was just thinking last night because you know me i'm like just 
every time I'm like, I'm just like the most, I'm in my imagination. I'm always like philosophizing and like kind of going into Cheers. These, <laughs> these places. And last night I'm thinking about like aliens. Right. And I'm thinking about like a uh, human's obsession with aliens. And I'm like, humans know that we're like living on a planet in the universe in the solar system. Right. Like, how is that not alien in itself? You know what I'm saying? I'm just like, I, I, I find it so interesting that we are always separating identities, compartmentalizing things, and we never think like, wait, like, that's me. You know what I mean? I'm, an a- I'm this alien who lives on a planet in the solar system. Like, it's just as strange and weird to be a human being as to imagine that there is any other life form embodied or not, you know, vibrational, energetic, whatever out there. I just think that like the human ego and its need to create separation is just so, is so prolific. Like, and that's really our biggest obstacle is to like stop drinking our own Kool-Aid. And, um, you know, like so many people, I mean, I'm, I'm like such a huge proponent of, um, revering life, right. And really life is precious and it's a beautiful thing. And our experience here on earth, like should be one of, uh, the reveration of life, right. Or just like caring for things, caring for the environment, caring for one another. And, um, like it's, super important to me but at the same time if if humanity goes extinct i also like don't it's i guess i don't really uh care oh we got to try to stop that though just for the <laughs> no, sake no, of i'm not, not for, I'm not not for even that, our own sake for the sake of I'm, all the other animals are in, I, are in those of oceans. course but yeah. i think these are two different things that i'm i'm saying i'm not saying i'm saying that of course we need to do everything possible to live in harmony with nature and the right. world around us but do you know what life will continue whether or not human life continues the earth will find a way to recreate life on its own terms it may not be human life but i i always find it interesting just even having this conversation of like uh extinct extinction and at one point humans didn't exist you know what i'm saying and like i just think it's interesting when we live when we live to be 80 years max why we're so attached to the idea that humans always live here on earth yeah it's not true <laughs> it's not true it's weird right yeah. i mean the, the yes it is i mean the, there's a, there's obviously a, it's, it's sort of prismatic the way you can try to you know to, to talk about talk about that, that whole phenomenon i mean for me especially in the last few years and the last year it's the uh you know the 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 thing this is just it's like a quip it's it's like uh it's a, it's an idea that I, I got from these guys that are from this kind of post-civilization phil, phil, philosophers called the Dark Mountain Manifesto. Huh. But the, basically, the one one of the things, one of the ideas, it's just a passing idea that they have. It's like the one thing that you know, quote unquote, the one thing that you and all of your political enemies have in common is the idea that people come first. <laughs> the people don't come first. 
Mm-hmm. Earth comes first. It's like, I mean, like the, the thing is obvious that we have to extend our allyship and our solidarity and empathy, not only towards all other people, but for the fucking ocean and the air yeah. and all the other mammals, all other animal life. I mean, honestly, this is the thing. These, these are some, these are some kind of like nugget kernels of, of, I think fucking just bottom line truth. It's like the only thing that matters is the health of the water land and air base yeah you know no one nothing you fucking do is going to matter if your people and animals and anybody after you can't even fucking breathe the air because it's so toxic that it'll kill you mm. which is by many mainstream not fringy environmentalist analysis is possible even within the next a hundred years like yeah. less than a hundred years um and the, which is you know it should be it's fucking it's terrifying the idea of not only like you know, extinction for all mammals to getting to the point where the air, it's not like uh, uh, respiration is not possible for mammals. Right. Okay. That's something, that's not something that like, oh, it's just going to, you know, there's going to be, you know, massive. I mean, it's beyond the massive climate change fomented civil unrest, which is already fucking happening to the point where, you know, the, the truth is actually a lot darker. It's much more grim. It's much it's much more terrifying than I think even I or most people would want to admit based on, you know, like their own wishful thinking and then like you know, kind of hoping that the statistics are wrong or that they're erring on the side of like, well, you know, maybe they're, maybe we can get it together or the, the technology will save us or they're going to fix it, you know, right? We don't have to worry or think about these things when my whole thing is that like, uh, you know, we're, we're so, we are so fundamentally ideologically and literally practically inclined towards the whole idea of human supremacy is what you're talking about, which yeah. uh, not only biologically, but, you know, and all, you know, it's like, it's all, it's incomprehensible to think of the biosphere collapsing. It's like actually not almost not possible for people, most people to actually really fully uh, uh, to internalize the idea that the biosphere could collapse, you know, because it's just a, uh, you know, it's, it's almost like earthquakes or something like that. You're just, when, it, when there's an earthquake happen, it just, it's a complete uh, anathema to our normal way of thinking because we think the ground is stable. The ground isn't supposed to ever go to, you know, to break apart completely like, you know, you're not supposed to, you're not supposed to feel like you're surfing <laughs> on the earth, on the ground. So, I mean, my whole thing, at least these days, is just trying to more and more, as much as I can, as unflinchingly try to reorganize my fucking thinking and my behavior towards what can I do? What kinds of austerities can I cultivate to not only reduce, to fucking reduce my footprint of all these known toxic habits and consumer habits and all these, you know, kind of commercial institutions, which are known to be things which actually are, are earth killing, especially anything that involves the industrial slaughter of animals of any kind, which is, that's my, my whole crusade since a year and a half ago. Um, but just as I'll try, try to remember that, like, as much as I can to, you know, like, for example, just stopping eating animals and wearing animal products of any kind is really just the first step. It's like the pan, it's the, for me, it's the, the door of the Pandora's box, which is like, well, where does anything come from? Like, what, what, where does any of the, you know, paper, plastic, all of your food, like, what, what, what are the, what are the, what are, what's the actual, what are the principles at work here that are underpinning our feeling of like endless entitlement to whatever we want forever when the there's like a huge there's like an urgent desperate cry from the scientific community and everybody going like 
we're all going to fucking die. Like the house is on fire. It's not like just have a positive attitude and do your best. No, we all have to get out in the fucking street. Of course, like, of yeah, course. Et cetera, et cetera, you know. Of course, Timo. But like also like we're all going to fucking die regardless. So this kind of like idea that we should be terrified of, I don't, I personally don't believe in us living an experience here where we live in fear of, um, where we live in fear period. I think that like, I think it is, I mean, you know, me for the last eight years, I, I rarely, everything I do is something that I want to connect to what's sustainable for the earth. I don't, right. you know, uh, I, I, I'm absolutely conscientious around like where organic food comes from, how things are farmed. I live upstate. I, I know the farms around here. I, you know, I'm somebody who like is extremely active, obviously in, uh, has been active in like political activism around like creating a better world. But I also right. don't in any way, um, buy into the idea of like everything is going to shit. And we are on a, we're on a sinking ship. I mean, I think what I believe about the earth is that the earth is going to take care of itself and it's going to um, adjust itself regardless of what humans do. That doesn't mean that humans are going to stick around through that. You know what I'm saying? Life, life on earth will because um, nature is like, always reacting and sort of evolving, right? It's evolving with it. And that may mean that it evolves past us, right? As human beings. But the other part of that is that like this whole fear of extinction, fear of death. I, I, um, I think that that's maybe why we are in such a spiritual time period right now too, because I think that there's more to us than our physical bodies. And it's that reliance it's two parts really to be a human being we have to be a body and i think we forget to be a body as a human being but to be a spiritual being we have to um like acknowledge the infinite that exists within us right so it's like we're constantly finding a balance between being a body and allowing that infinite soul to move through us as human beings and vice versa. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think, I mean, I just want to totally, I would just, I think what I want to just try to make the distinction here is that like, um, the, like, I just want to, the, the way that I'm characterizing the kind of worldview and the posture, as opposed to just being terrified, I don't yeah. mean paralyzed. I mean, actually allowing yourself to viscerally feel this, like the, the, the possible, the advent of annihilation beyond just in a general philosophical just a mortality kind of way which it change what you're yeah, doing to yeah. actually know we we are the nature that you're talking about like we are that nature we are we're not like of course we, we can call ourselves human beings but we are we are we are possibly at best you can be these self-conscious quote-unquote humanoid animals that have both the the kind of the, their ape ancestry and also this kind of like you know whatever we call the human qualities of having you know of being able to the channels for divine consciousness or something greater than just mechanized animal existence you know wherever human beings exist in 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 between heaven and earth so to speak 
but also like a, allowing yourself to actually feel, but not be paralyzed by or consumed by or dominated by feelings of terror or rage or anger, yeah. but also allowing yourself to feel those things enough that you can, with joy and service and, you know, with a positive attitude to be able to galvanize yourself to get out there and like, you know, more or less risk your life and uh, at best give your life for the sake of the oceans yeah. because those are the lungs of the earth. And like, you know, it's like, you know, and, and like, I think it would relate generally to some of the ideas that you were telling, I were talking about of like, and also I think in Buddhism also about the idea of like pushing yourself as far out of your comfort zone as you possibly can yeah. regularly so that we're giving up our need for security or this life of like, uh, relative like you know the, the the dream of first world isolation safety security comfort when the stakes are i mean for me personally i'm starting to i'm having to really i'm trying to really as as courageously as i can just to like examine my own we know really what my feelings of entitlement are to like well of, of to like what i'm supposed to be able to be able to do as a citizen and as a consumer in this first world society, which is like to make enough money to live my life, to be able to buy what I want, to be able to buy a house somewhere, to like remove, try to try to remove myself from the hard scrabble, like from the, the experience of being an animal that lives outside, yeah. <laughs> possibly could die from the cold or something, which of course are normal, reasonable, reasonable aspirations to have as just any kind, as a person of any kind. I'm just saying that like, I'm just trying to make the distinction between like, the extremely important need for like really ruthless honesty. Yeah. In, 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 but also, but to, to not get, you know, it's not just in the, in the, it's not just a kind of a characteristic of like the vibe of like the sky's falling or being some like, I mean, th there, there's a reasonable, and I think it totally just uh, uh, kind of, it, it's a, it's a totally legitimate reaction to be like, listen, like everything's not going to be all right. Yeah. You know, everything is going to be all right in the way that you're talking about in the macro sense of like life, you know, like the earth will continue on. Eventually yeah. the sun's going to burn out 5 billion years from now. Yeah. It's more important. I think it's as important to uh, not only keep the macro stuff in mind and to try to like uh, as much as we can to, you know, to operate with, like you said, like, Hey, re reverence, yeah. gratitude, you know, and also to enlarge one's sphere of empathy and compassion and fucking solidarity for everyone. And then for my thing, it, 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 the whole thing about me is just happens to have the, 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 the foundation analogy and sort of the, the, the revolution for me in the last year is that I finally, after like a lifetime of it kind of lurking around in my subconscious, I finally extended my field of empathy to animals because on an energetic and I think on a psychic and a karmic level, those are my brothers and sisters and Absolutely. like, I'm just not going to eat them anymore. And like, it's extremely, it's been very difficult for me to find my footing, even in my own family, in my own life. When I, I mean, in my opinion, the large, much larger majority of people are conditioned with a speciesist in a kind of ingrained sense of human supremacy where even when people imagine themselves, I think we're not even imagine themselves that they and relatively are, you know, considering themselves on this on the side of progressivism and open mindedness and change and you know, hum, you know, hu the humanities and humanism, unwittingly are also happen to be party to these industrial systems of slavery, yeah. murder, which on a not only on an ethical and a you know on a, a technophysical level 
and a spiritual and a, a philosophical level, but also literally on an environmental level are among yeah. the biggest causes of the environmental catastrophe. Absolutely. That's, so that's, yeah. but I'm, I totally actually, I, I mean, this is, it's extremely important. I think like you're doing or like we're doing, I think to nuance these things of saying like, yeah. it's okay to actually, like, it's not like, it's like, there's a, there's a extremely, I think very, uh, uh, very, very subtle, but, you know, important distinction that means, needs to be made with people that are unwittingly, like, ramping up their hope that things are going to work out, as opposed to being like, you know what, I'm going to, like, modify my hope and with fucking clear seeing and actually the willingness to be like, oh my God, like that, you know, it's like, it's like hoping that your house isn't going to burn down when it's burning down. Like, it's not, like, you know, basically zooming out and saying like, well, in the, lar- in the larger, in the longer term sense, it's all going to burn down, which is true at the same time of like trying to place yourself fully as an advocate as much as you can for not only enlightening yourself and educating yourself and actually, you know, burn, you know, just trying to burn like a sense of responsibility and burn through this, uh, this kind of individual, the sense of libertarian individuality which yeah. is, goes against the entire, like the whole notion of capitalism and like e- everything where we're, we're transcending, we're transcending our whole, you know, culturally encouraged ingrained like habits of like, well, what, 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 what's in it for me, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah. just easy to say that stuff. I'm certainly not, I'm, I'm barely, I'm, I'm at like zero, zero point zero zero one. <laughs> I'm trying to be like, well, okay, I'm going to try to reduce harm. I'm going to, you know, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm going to try to not knowingly contribute to the murder exploitation of people, of, of the of anybody, of the animals, of the earth, which is almost, it's virtually impossible as a, oh. as a, you know, but it's also, it's worth doing even if you're a hypocrite, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Know? And I think like we have to like live our lives with integrity, like personally and do what we can in our communities. But, you know, like, um, all, all that long, long time ago, you know, like life alters on, on its own. You know, the, the dinosaurs were somehow wiped out without humans being playing a part in that. Right. So it's like, it's like, there is, um, regardless, I feel like life will go on. Life goes on and the, the essence of life goes on and finds a way to, um, evolve itself and recreate itself. And in terms of like, um, like our experience, I think that is probably why we're all looking past just the human experience now into the energetic experience, the spirit experience, the soul experience, because like striving for all of these thousands of years for merely a physical existence has, um, not provided us with any real life fulfillment or reverence for life or appreciation of the time that we have here, which is ultimately extremely limited. You know, even if we live a long, healthy life, it's still such a little blip, you know, in terms of like, um, life itself. Uh, so it's just interesting how we're like, um, the just yeah the nuance of all of this um yeah cheers Excuse cheers right on. Tim, i love you so much <laughs> i love I wanna, you too i want to ask you one last question yeah what would be the advice you would give to your younger self oh my god take it easy man <laughs> eat, eat less <laughs> like, meat no not only that but like also <laughs> just like uh uh 
just like you know like a calm down <laughs> like i mean our, i know again of course it's that's just saying that now that's my advice to me now <laughs> oh but so my younger self is still that that person that still needs that advice i mean i would say that like a uh don't be afraid don't be afraid to ask for help don't be afraid to like embarrass yourself profoundly and like don't be afraid of like putting yourself in situations where you're actually uh um finding the right kind of support and mentorship and guidance where you can actually really properly safely humiliate yourself so that you can fucking grow and you can uh you know i mean i would say in the best possible case of the kind of therapeutic situation is one where you're not just like it's not just confessional you're right. not just you're not just retelling your story you know and reinforcing your own story you know just paying someone else to listen to you without actually having them you know uh, you know, really uh, comment on it or really pull to call, call you out. Yeah. Pull a Timo on you. Get your <laughs> fucking shit together. There's people dying. <laughs> Impossible. You know, without, without like, without making them, without shaming them or whatever, without making them feel small. You know? Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, I would say, Hey, just, you know, it's a, uh, like you said, it's the same thing, Mr. Rogers. You're okay. You're just okay. You're yeah. okay as you are with all of your flawed, sloppy, glory you, yeah. you know and all of your you know neurotic and dreadfully sensitive and and confused uh, uh typical self you know and what a blessing for that sensitivity though because it's you know i think that vulnerability that sensitivity it really does make you a more compassionate person you know and i think that's like how we can be compassionate to others is having a deep understanding of sensitivity and pain and, and discomfort, you know, and all of those, um, just like being extra sensory can really help us to, to love more, I think in a lot of ways. Exactly. It's the key to, uh, it's the key to enlarging your sphere of, uh, compassion for yourself and for everyone else. Yeah. If possible. Oh, the one thing I would like to add, if possible, Mm -hmm. because I got to go to in a second is everybody, if you haven't already check out the extinction rebellion, just look it up, Google it. I feel like it's gonna has the it really has the seed of being the the revolutionary moment, the movement that we all need. There's some amazing scholarship and thinking behind it. It's just the shit, and it's like it's the one thing that actually is is a it's encouraging to me because it actually it combines a it's essentially consolidates everything that we need to know and understand in terms of galvanizing our galvanizing ourselves to action. Yeah. Yeah. like uh, um, collectively so check that out awesome timo tell us what you have coming up or how uh the listeners can tune into you tap in <laughs> well uh thank you uh um, the uh i have a band if you anybody likes i have a, I have a huge uh, this band's deep. amazing i'll just thank i'll you. be able to do i'll do this part they're called thank the you. netherlands and it is just like such an experience to go see timo because timo is just an amazing performer who really puts on a, g- a great show. You're going to you. really enjoy it. And you also just are such a prolific musician. Again, you, you have so much music that you've put out. It's true. If, if anybody, thank you very much. I appreciate that. I am. Um, anybody that is interested, have a, a lot, a huge range of extremely tonally and uh, different types of records that I've done, uh, which you can find all on my band camp page through timoellis.com. 
along with a bunch of videos and art and a bunch of other shit. Um, my band is netherlandsband.com. Anybody that likes uh, crazy, uh, awesome hard rock music, guttural, guttural, cathartic uh, rock music. Um, and then, uh, yeah, otherwise, I mean, yeah, those are the main things that I'm doing. You can find everything about me there. Anybody in the New York area, we're playing at St. Vitus on March 13th. Yeah. Uh, so come oh. on, come on out for that if you would. And but, we'll uh, link yeah. all that stuff in the show notes. So if you want to find Timo, you can check out the show notes and uh, we'll link all of his, all of his different websites there. Um, he also did a little TV show. Oh yeah, that's Instagram. right. I forgot. I have a little talk show. Sorry. Shame, shame party. It's a really fun <laughs> art, art talk show. It's like, it's, it's a really, conceptual talk, short form talk show. Yes. Shameparty.tv. Which yeah. is just a, you know, it's a, it's a like, yeah, it's a conceptual quote talk show, which is fun. And I get to interview all of my amazing weirdo friends and musicians and artists that I've uh, known over my whole life, the last 25 years in New York, including Rebecca. <laughs> That's right. I was on there. On there. <laughs> I said one sentence. <laughs> That's good. You were, you were, you were nice enough to be party to my, like, uh, my, uh, my sort of chipmunk vegan platform <laughs> explosion. Yeah, that's right. Always will be. Also, Timo, I'm always available. For Cheers. Your, for your I'll, fuckery. I'll do it again. And I'll actually not. I will, I'll actually have it be more egalitarian next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, thanks, anyway, so, thanks yeah. so much, Timo, and to our listeners. Uh, this has been the Nude Story Podcast. Timo Ellis, check out the show notes Peace. for what he's got. I love you, up. everyone. Peace and love. I love you too. And for our listeners, keep tapping into the weekly energy report. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.